Well, good morning. I am very honored and privileged to be here sharing with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for allowing me to speak here this morning. Um, Like I said, I'm very honored. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the freedom to meet here in this place. I pray that you would take my words and let them not be mine, but be yours. We ask your Holy Spirit to enter here as we learn about you and your people in your holy word. In your precious and holy name, amen. Well, like I said, I'm honored to be here, and I want to start off this morning with a story that I hope most of you are very familiar with. Um, it's, it's a little story that maybe you've heard uh, as a little kid, or you've told kids, or your grandkids, and it's a story that I need some audience participation with. So I'm going to ask each of you to kind of follow along as I prompt, and I think you'll you'll catch on as as we go, Um, but there's going to be some different points during the story where I'm just going to ask you to fill in the blank, and I I think you'll catch on. I know you'll catch on very quickly, and if not, I, I will prompt you, and you will catch on. So once upon a time, there was a little girl named Goldilocks. Goldilocks was out in the forest walking around and she came across this house and decided to stop at the house and knock on the door. And as no one answered, of course, she walked into the house. So she walks into this house, nobody's home, and, and she, she's really hungry. Walks into the kitchen, she finds a table and it's got chairs, three chairs sitting around it and, and it's set for dinner. So she figures out, I'll, I'll go ahead and sit down. So she sits down in this big, giant chair. It's huge, and and she sits down in it. She kind of wiggles around, and it's kind of hard. So she she decides not to to sit in that one. She moves over to this medium-sized chair, sits down, and she just sinks in right away. And it's so soft, but it's, it's uncomfortably soft. So she looks at the third chair, gets up and and sits in the third chair. And when she sits down in the third chair, it's just right. So she sits down in the chair, and and there's this bowl of porridge in front of her. And she's like, ah, I want to try this one first. She reaches over, and she grabs the the porridge in front of the big chair. And she takes a scoop of it, and it it burns her mouth. So she's like, oh, no way, that that one's too hot. Scooches it over. She grabs the one across the table, and she she takes a bite of it, and it's cold. She doesn't want that, and so she puts that, and so she decides to eat the one that's right in front of her, because that's what you do when you walk into someone's house and no one's home, you eat their porridge. So she takes a bite of the porridge, and and it it sits in her mouth for a second, and what was it? It was? It was just right. Well, after this porridge meal that she has so aptly stolen from these inhabitants of this home, she decides it's time for a nap. So she walks upstairs and finds a bedroom, and she finds a bed, and, and the first bed is this huge, giant, king-sized bed, and she's like, oh, that's going to be comfortable, of course. So she, she lays down on it, and very much like the chair, it was too hard. So she gets up, and she walks over to the medium-sized bed, and she lays down and once again just sinks in the, in the bed, and she's like, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep on this. 
And so she goes over to the smallest bed, and it's it's perfect size for her. And she lays down on the mattress, and she finds that it's... And she quickly falls asleep. Well, we know how the story ends. This family of bears comes back to the house and very quickly realize that someone's been messing with their stuff and find Goldilocks asleep in the bed and they chase her out of the house and she runs away and she's probably crying and and the little bear, meanwhile, is in the house and and he's crying. There's lots of tears and weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and so finally Goldilocks makes her exit and quickly realizes to never again walk into a house that is owned by three bears and they're not home. So, and that's the end of the story. So it's a story that we've all heard and probably have told our kids or our grandkids or seen a book of it before. But I want to, I want first, before we move on, I want you to turn to someone next to you and just tell them, thank you for participating. You did a good job. So turn to someone next to you. And if they didn't tell them shame on you, But I know, I know that's a silly story, but I wonder if you have ever had an experience like Goldilocks, where you came across something that was just right. I'm very blessed to have both a mother and a mother-in-law who are wonderful cooks, and I'm doubly blessed to have them both here with me this morning, um, supporting me, and so you'll have to say hello to them after the service. But both of these women in my life are wonderful cooks, and I, I love eating their food, but the downside to having two wonderful women in my life who are wonderful cooks is that no matter how hard I try, my food never tastes quite like theirs. I mean, does anyone else, just raise of hands, have that, where someone else is the much better cook, and yours never quite tastes the same? Maybe just me and Brittany are the only ones here. <laughs> but, you know, where, where they make something, and it, it, it doesn't taste the same when you make it. My mother-in-law has something that, that she makes a lot for special occasions and stuff. They're called special K-bars. Um, some people call them scotcheroos. But basically, it's, it's taking the cereal, mixing it in with some caro syrup and peanut butter, and mix it together kind of like a Rice Krispie, Rice Krispie bar, and you put chocolate and butterscotch over the top of it. And it is so good. And it's one of Amos's favorite desserts. And like when I heard about this, I said, okay, I need to figure out how to make these special K-bars. So, so I pull out the, the McNeely Foles family cookbook, and I, I look up the recipe. I follow all of the directions, and I make these special K-bars, and they're not quite right. I don't know what it is, but, but mine are never as chewy and gooey and perfect and melt in your mouth they're just never as good. Or my mom, um, being a part of a Mexican-American family, we would grow up a lot eating a lot of homemade Mexican food. And, and it has our taste to it, our own little things to it. But when I think of comfort food, I think of refried beans, which maybe you don't. And I'm not talking about like 
the canned beans or even what you get at La Chaz or Casa Brava. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you go to the store, you get dried beans, you boil them for like three hours to cook them, and then uh, you, you let them cool off a little bit, then you fry them, and then you mash them, and they're so delicious. And to me, that is my comfort food. And so when I try to make those, though, first I call my mom, and I ask her if I'm doing it right every single time. And I go through all of the steps and I make them and they just don't quite measure up. And so whenever I make it, it's just, it's just not as good. But when we go to visit Amos' parents or my parents and we have special K bars, they're so good. They're soft and they're chewy and the frosting is perfectly proportioned and I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but they're so right. They're so good. Or when we go to visit my parents, I I bring home these frozen packages of of refried beans because mine don't taste like that and and Amos will get a meal's worth out of them, but I'm going to take extra because that's my comfort food and they taste so good. And so we all have something like that, a special dish where it's grandma's carrot cake or mom's pumpkin pie or that one casserole that is at every single family reunion. And anyone could make that dish. You could hand me the recipe. I could make it. Any person can make that dish. But every once in a while, someone will make it, and and it's just right where you take a bite and you're just like, oh, that's like my mom's. That tastes like how grandma used to make it or auntie so-and-so used to make it. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the greatest compliments that I could possibly receive from my husband is for him to take a bite of something and for him to say, oh, it tastes like my mom's. That is one of the greatest compliments I think I could receive as his wife. See, because we all know there's a difference between following the directions and getting it right. Just using the right ingredients doesn't necessarily make it taste like mom's. There's a big difference between following the directions and getting it right. If you would, open up with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be reading in chapter 1. I was reading a couple weeks ago in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and as I was reading, I realized that Paul, the author of this book, was writing this letter to this church at Thessalonica, and he just seemed to be raving about these people. And, I mean, he's just, he's gushing. You just read through 1 Thessalonians, even 2 Thessalonians, and he just goes on and on, and, and it, it's, it's like, what are they doing so right? And I'm reading through this, and, and I, I want to know, because there, there's something that sets them apart. There's something different about them. And as I was reading through it, I, I was going through my brain. I was like, what is it that they are just doing so right. 
And so if you'd follow along in chapter 1, I want to try to uncover this morning just what that was. And so I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, which is on the screen. But I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in as much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So when we read this passage, we see a lot of things that they're doing right. I mean, there's kind of lists of things that they're doing right. We see that kind of holy trio of faith, hope, and love, which we've seen elsewhere elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, We see Paul point out their labor and work and steadfastness. We see that they're continuing in their faith despite persecution and, and doing so with joy. Verse 9 seems to suggest that they welcomed Paul and and his team in and received him warmly. So they're showing quite a bit of hospitality. And in fact, it seems that they're even imitating Paul in their faith and as a result, imitating God. And not only that, but people are noticing what they're doing. I mean, he lists people are people are hearing and people are telling others and it's made its way back to Paul. And verse seven says they became an example to the people, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And so we can assume that that their reputation has gone far beyond just their little area, their church, even their country. It's it's reached far and people are noticing people are talking about, man, these these Thessalonians, there's. There's something about them. And, and what we see, though, is a lot of what they're doing isn't out of the ordinary. It's not what sets them apart. Because this list of things that they're doing that I mentioned earlier, it's kind of things that other people are doing, too. Lots of people had faith and chose to follow God. Lots of other people were demonstrating love to others, around them. The Thessalonians were not the only church that was being persecuted and and persevering 
in spite of that, I mean, this, this still doesn't make them unique. And so it seems that there is still something different, something else that sets them apart, that makes them stand out, that makes other people talk about them. And so I want to pull up verses 9 and 10 again. In 9 and 10, it says, For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from the idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, on the surface, these, these things mentioned in these two verses once again seem like what any other Christian would do. I mean, there's an an initial choice to turn to God and to follow him. They're serving him with their life and with actions, and they're waiting for him to return and take us to heaven. I mean, that's, that's nothing out of the ordinary. It's nothing new. In fact, those of us who have also chosen to follow Christ these things, it's kind of part of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, there, there's more to it than just that, but these are pretty basic things. They're, they're nothing out of the ordinary. So why is Paul bragging on the Thessalonians for just doing what Christians are supposed to do? But if there's one thing that you may know about Paul or need to know about Paul is that he's very particular with the words that he uses. His letters are, they're very eloquent. And and a lot of times the words mean something more than what they seem to mean. And so I want to look at these three words that, that are mentioned in this passage, turned, serve, and wait. The first word, turned, it comes from the Greek word epistrepho. And it carries with it the idea of not just turning away from something, but also turning towards something else. So you can turn away from one thing without actually turning to another thing. But if you turn away from one thing and don't turn to something else, eventually it's very easy to turn right back to where you came from. I mean, this, this is the whole deal of dieting versus creating a healthy lifestyle. It's one thing to just lose weight fast and cut things out entirely, but as soon as you start craving that thing and you eat it and you start eating those things again or you stop following a particular diet plan, the weight comes right back on. But if you replace the bad things that you crave, that you were eating, with better options, it's easier to maintain a healthy lifestyle. It's not just a diet. It's, it's a healthy lifestyle. See, in order for a turn to be effective, you have to fill the void created by something that was removed with something else. You can't just not eat food. We have to eat food. We're going to die if we don't eat food. We have to eat something, but you also have to eat good foods. You can't just quit a habit 
and expect to be all hunky-dory. You, you need to fill it with, with a better habit, with a good habit. And so for the Thessalonians, it meant not just turning away from their idols, but also turning towards God. And suddenly, he became their priority. He became the focus of their attentions. They turned away from sin and to God. And as a result of that, they desired to serve God. It wasn't just a, well, we have to do this. They, they wanted to serve God. This word serve in the Greek comes from the word doulos, which Pastor Tim has talked about multiple times. And, and it carries with it this idea that uh, a person would so value one thing that they would give up something else. It, it has the picture of a servant who would give up the opportunity to be free in order to continue serving their current master. One commentator described this word serve, this, this doulos saying that it, it, it speaks utter devotion and recognition of God's rightful lordship over humankind. See, the Thessalonians were so serious about turning to God because they knew that what he had to offer was so much greater than anything their idols could do or offer them. But once again, these two words aren't anything unique. It's not a stretch to say that all Christians in their day were doing these things, or at least striving for them. I mean, this is, this is what we preach every Sunday and every Wednesday and every time we get together. These are kind of the basics of what we say is part of being a Christian. This is what we mean when we talk about repenting and allowing God to be Lord of your life. It's, it's turning from our own desires to God and giving up our world, worldly freedom in favor of God's greater plans. And so by def definition, this is what a Christian does. It's not anything new. But take a look at that word, wait, in verse 10. Wait. Again, seems like just a normal word. Something that we do all the time. Something that we're commanded to do in Scripture all the time. And Paul says it right there in verse 10, just like everyone else who has chosen to follow Christ, they're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I mean, this, this is about as basic as it gets. This is the core, the basis of Christian belief. It's that very first step of becoming a Christian, acknowledging Jesus as God and that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and is coming back again. I mean, it's basic, basic stuff. This is like Christianity 101 right there. And so why is that setting the Thessalonians apart? This particular word, wait, in verse 10, comes from the Greek word anameno. And to me, this is where the Thessalonians are set apart. 
This is where I go, okay, this, this makes sense. Now I get it. That Greek word, anameno, is made up of two Greek words. One is ana, which means in the midst. And the other is meno, which means to be present. So what you could really literally translate it as saying is to be present in the midst. In the midst of something else, in the midst of everything else around you. To be present in the midst. And this word for wait, anameno, is used one time in the entire Bible right here to describe the Thessalonians. And you might say, well, Jessica, the Bible talks about waiting all the time. That, that's not, it's not an uncommon word. What, what is so unique about this kind of waiting as to other waiting? What, what's the difference? Well, every other instance of waiting that we read, especially in the Old Testament, comes from the word, the Greek word dekomai, which means to learn, to take hold of, or to receive. See, dekomai waiting, in my mind, it's like a student sitting in a classroom. They come to class, they're on time, they're, they're always ready for class, and they're, they're listening to the lesson, they're learning the lessons, they're learning the, the formulas or the facts, whatever it is, and, and they're sitting there taking notes like a good student does, and, and they're taking in the information because they know at some point a test is coming. And so they're learning the information because they know that they're going to be tested, they're going to receive a grade, and if they don't listen to the information and do the homework, they're not going to do well on the test. So they sit there and, and they take in the information and, and, and put it back out when, when the time comes. They may retain it, they may not, but they, they take it in and, and they deliver the information when it's asked. And that's, that's how I view my waiting. See, we decomai wait on God because we know he'll return. And if we're not ready, we'll be left behind. And so we wait because we're no, we know we're supposed to. We know the return, return is coming. So we wait. That, that's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. But anomeno waiting carries with it this, this connotation of an additional patience and trust. And there, there's almost a, a deeper motivation for, for waiting, a desire to wait. See, in my mind, anamena waiting is more like the student who walks in, sits down for class, has all their supplies, and, and is ready to learn, but when they're sitting there taking in the information, you, you can just tell in their face, you can tell in their body language, they're sitting forward in their seat, their eyes are wide open, they're eager to learn, and every word that's spoken, they're just like eating it up, they're soaking it up, they're fully engaged in that lesson. They're learning the information just like the other student, but, but they're enjoying the moment. They know a test is coming, and they need to know the information, 
But until that test comes, they, they want to take in the information. They want to savor the information. And as they sit in class, it's just like the, the, the professor, the teacher keeps looking at that student because you can just see it in their eyes. See, there's a difference. And, and you wouldn't say that not either student is wrong. Either student is a bad or better student. I mean, they're, they're both doing what they're supposed to do. They're both learning the information, and they could even take the test and, and walk out with the same exact grade. And so on paper, they seem like equals. But if you ask the teacher, they, they may not be able to pinpoint it, but they'll say, there's something about this student. They're, they're just, there's something different. It's just, it's just so good. I don't know what it is, but this different, this student is just somehow different. And it's just so right. And that's what Paul, I think, was picking up on with the Thessalonians. They were doing the same exact things as many other churches were doing. But there was that little something extra. That little just, ah, it's, it's, it's right. It is so right. It is just right. Because not only were the Thessalonians turning away from their sin and turning towards God, not only were they serving God and giving up something for the sake of something better, but they were waiting with their minds set on heaven, and yet they were fully present on the ground. They weren't just sitting around doing nothing as they awaited Jesus' return. They were present here on earth through their actions. They were present here on earth through their service to others. They were present here on earth through the way they labored in love. I mean, the world wasn't just happening around them as they waited. They were in the very midst of it. I mean, this wasn't just a church that, that met once or twice a week to sit in a room and, and hear some, some feel-good words. This was a church whose patience and trust in the Lord was demonstrated not just by the things that they believed and said, but also by the things they did. They were heavenly-minded, but still fully present. See, throughout Paul's two letters through the Thessalonians, he gives them some tips and some instructions, but this word wait helps us understand why the majority of the time when we read these books, he's just glowing. He's just spurting out all these good things. He has so much good to say about the Thessalonians because what he's really saying is, guys, thank you for getting it right. This way of life, this Christian faith, being a church, you wait, but you don't just sit there staring at the sky. You, on a meno, wait. Your eyes are focused upwards, but your feet are on the ground and running. You're doing it just right. 
Thank you. And I don't, I don't claim to be Paul except for maybe in his faults and his struggles, but, but I want to echo his message to the Thessalonians, to those of you who are, in essence, doing what they did. You're turning. You're serving. But beyond that, you're not just waiting and twiddling your thumbs, but you're fully present in your waiting. You're here on earth in this church, and you aren't content to just sit around and learn. And I'm not saying that learning is bad. We need to learn. But the Thessalonians weren't content in just that. See, those of you who are are modeling what the Thessalonians did, you're you're wanting to soak in in the experience of being a part of this church. You're engaged in the life of this church. You're involved in serving. You found your fit in ministry. And, and while we do wait for Christ's return, you're not just sitting around waiting for his return to just happen to you. You've volunteered to take in all of the opportunities that God gives you so that you can bring people along when it's time for us to leave this earth and go to our heavenly home. You're doing it right. And so I want to say what Paul said to the Thessalonians. Thank you for doing it just right. Now, I'm not saying that if you aren't serving the church, you're doing it all wrong. Because you can be doing a lot right. You can be loving God with all of your heart. You can have an intimate, close relationship with God. But it seems to me that there's just something like the Thessalonians, that the people who are serving here, they they have a little something extra. That little special, oh, that's good. Oh, that's so right. And it's, it's just like taking a bite of that pie or that cake or that casserole. And, and it's just like, oh, that tastes like mom's. It's just, it's just right. And we can choose to settle for good. We can choose to settle for, yeah, that, that's a good carrot cake. That, that's a good special K bar. But more often, we we settle for that instead of striving for the, oh, that's like mom's. Oh, that's like grandma's. Why settle for good when you could get just a little bit closer to, oh, that's just right. Oh, that's, oh, that's good. See, because for me, when God gets a whiff of what I'm cooking up down here and when, when he gets a taste of what I'm doing here on this earth, I want it to be so close to what he had in mind for his church. I want it to be so good. I want it to be just right. And so for those of you who are doing that, thank you for getting it just Right. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me?
Father, we thank you again for your holy word. Thank you for the record we have of these brothers and sisters so long ago that that we can learn from them and from your servant, Paul. Father, I pray that you would give us a desire to not only turn away from sin, but to constantly turn towards you. Convict us, Lord, of where we need to turn, perhaps for the first time, maybe for the tenth, maybe for the hundredth time. But convict us of those areas that we need to turn. Help our hands be constantly at work, serving your bride, the church, for your glory. And as we wait for your return, help us to be fully present in the work at hand until our final day on earth. Father, help us become more like the Thessalonians, and as a result, more like you. Father, may my life be so good and so right and pleasing to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Wow, wasn't that good? Can I get an amen? That was good. That was a great study in that portion of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And thank you so much, uh, Jessica. For those of you who don't recognize her, she oversees our youth. And I don't know why any parent or grandparent wouldn't want their kids and grandkids under her leadership. That's good, solid stuff. Praise God. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, If you want to get it just right in your life, You need Jesus Christ in your life. And so if you'd like some help knowing how to do that, uh, we're here ready and available, uh, not only after this service, but throughout the week. Give us a call, jot us a note, put a note, drop it in at the Welcome Center or whatever. We would dearly love to help you know how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So thank you to all of you who in this past year have gotten it just right. Uh, so many of you, we couldn't list them all, but we just want to say thank you in a special way. How many of you noticed that crazy bow tie uh, Jared had on this morning? Was that wild or what? I mean, I'm telling you what. So, so we have we have something for you on your way out, and it's a T-shirt, and it goes just like this. You saw Jared wearing it. As a matter of fact, I, I'm supposed to put it on, so I'm going to do this. Okay. So now. I want you to know that a few years ago, a few years ago, when I had a comb over, I would never have done this. <laughs> okay, honey, watch me. Am I doing okay? Okay, so is it okay? Let me get this right. All right, there we go. Then it says, uh, "Okay, I fit here. I fit here. You fit here. You're special in being here, and you matter." And for some, uh, you may not have gotten involved in some volunteer ministry yet. And uh, some of you have been involved in volunteering in lots of different ways. And and this is our way of saying thank you because uh, as soon as I say the final prayer and a little benediction out there right in front of the Welcome Center, you don't know it, but I can see all these T-shirts lined up. And so it's our way of saying thank you for the many, many ways that you volunteer to make this ministry happen. Now, let me say a couple of things. i got about three, three, four things here I've got to share, and they'll, they'll, they'll be quick. 
Number one, we all know t-shirts shrink, right? So I am giving you permission to get a size larger than you normally would wear. In case somebody's looking over your shoulders and I cannot believe they are wearing a great big old whatever. So we have everything from small all the way to super duper triple big man size. Okay? They're all out there. And I've given instructions that if we run out of enough sizes, that we'll take, we'll take the, the number that we need and we'll do our very best to get more for next Sunday. Why is that important? Because next Sunday, we're inviting everyone who's got one of their t-shirts, because they're a volunteer in the ministry, to wear your t-shirt. So you get to wear your t-shirt to, to church. Not your, I know I'm going to alienate some people, not your Colts shirt or not your, uh, you know, Indiana University shirts, but this is your I fit here shirt. And we're going to look out, and it's going to be, I'm, I'm telling you, the choir, listen, if you're in the choir, if you're a greeter, if you, you sit on the church board, the commission on missions, if you're on the school staff, if, if you're, what, whatever, it may, in fact, someone asked me in the prayer room a little bit ago, they said, well, I'm not sure how many people that involves, and I said, stop, stop right there, just go get a shirt. Because I know that you're involved. Some of you are involved in back in the in the background ministry of the church. Some of you are doing things that the rest of the church has no idea what you're doing. The, most of the time, the church staff, somebody on the staff knows you're doing it. Do you know that we have someone that every person that comes up on our prayer our prayer chain gets a nice card that is mailed to every single person that comes up on our prayer chain. Some of you have gotten a card from this person, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily give credit to them. It just says from, from Lakeview Ministries. We have people doing things like that, and you don't even know who they are. So guess what? Get a shirt. Get a shirt on your way out. Get a shirt. Don't rush to the restaurant. Stop and get a shirt because we want you to wear it next Lord's Day. So that'll be fun. The whole choir would be up there. All the choir should have a shirt because they're all volunteering. Amen? Amen. Amen. All the musicians. Everybody should have a shirt for the most part. So go get a shirt. And if we run out, we'll get some more. Now, don't miss next week because one of the things we want you to be able to do is to have just the perfect fit for the different ministries that the church has that work that needs to be done. Sometimes it's not, uh, you know, some people aren't good with babies. And sometimes they get drafted in to help with the nursery. And, you know, thankfully they don't drop them on their head and have to go to the hospital and all that sort of thing. Just not good with babies. And so it's not a good fit. They meant well, but it's not a good fit. There's things that that fit better than others. Some of us, we wouldn't begin to want to get on a riding lawnmower. But some people get on it, like Jan Payton, and just make it talk. It's amazing when you get the right fit with the right talent. So next Lord's Day, you don't want to miss I want you to, Dr. Krause, I want you to stand up and let everybody see. This guy right here is the head of school, okay? Now, before we give him a hand, let's, let's just understand this. He's going to be sharing next Lord's Day something called shape, and it has nothing to do with your body size. It has to do with your spiritual gifts and talents that God has given you, 
It ties in your personality strengths and all these kinds of, you want to know something better about yourself that you really weren't so clear about, about getting it just right, the recipe just right, then you don't want to miss next Sunday because Dr. Krauss has, through his school activities and different things, used a tool that has been very, very helpful uh, to the teams that he's worked with. And we have asked him to take the point, like Jessica took the point today, He'll be taking the point next Lord's Day, and he'll be walking us through something where you can take your own inventory, and when you walk out of this place, you're going to know more things about yourself than you could possibly imagine. And it's going to be really good stuff to get the recipe just right. So let's give Dr. Krauss a praise the Lord in advance. Amen. It's going to be fun. Really great. So just like as Jessica was talking, Thessalonians, the Thessalonians got it right. We want you to get it as right as you can get it to discover how you can best serve at Lakeview. And then finally, next Sunday at the conclusion of the service, you will see out in the foyer and around a ministry fair. And there will be representatives and leaders at those various tables or whatever that can help you understand what some of the openings are, what some of the needs are. And then you can take your all the good things you learn from, from Dr. Krauss and you can say, you know what, I think I would fit right there. I think that would really work well for me. I think maybe I'll, I'll sign up to volunteer in that area. And I believe that's going to make a great difference as we march forward for Christ right here at Lakeview. Would you stand with me now? I want to close with a word of prayer. I think I got everything just right. I hope I did. And we're really glad you're here. We have some guests here. We have people almost every Sunday that are here for the very first time checking things out. I want to say just a welcome to Bryce, who represents Child Evangelism Fellowship, happens to be with us this Sunday. And uh, there may be some others. And I wish we knew uh, who you were, but we want to make sure we greet you in the strong name of Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for what Jessica has shared with us. She, she helped us in many ways to, to do a better job of, of getting it just right. But today, Lord, our staff and our leadership wanted you to affirm in the hearts of these wonderful folks just how much they are appreciated in the life of this work. Thank you so much for all of those who do so many tasks in the life of this church, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes that only you know what is going on. And we count it a privilege to not just learn the information and be aware of it, but to have our head and our heart in the game, that we are cheerleaders for the work that needs to be done in the life of the church. Thank you for making Lakeview Wesleyan Church uh, our church home and the place where we fit just right. Bless us now, Lord, as we ponder these things. Help people not to run out the doors, but to go get a shirt because they matter. And I pray, God, that you will protect us and bless us and fill us afresh with your spirit as a result of the things that we have learned today. And now, as Paul ended his second letter to the Thessalonians, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.